It's time for Valley Writers Read, a production of Valley Public Radio featuring the talents of writers from Central California. Here's the host of our program, Franz Weinschenk. Good evening, friends. Welcome to Valley Writers Read, where every story you hear comes from the pen of a local writer. Tonight, Debbie Everson Barofka, who lives in Clovis, will be reading a story of hers with a Danish title, Kærlighed. Loose translation, In Love. And here is Debbie Everson Barofka to read it for us. Can I tell you that I love you? I love you, but I can't think of right words to say. I long to tell you that I'm always thinking of you. I'm always thinking of you, but my words just blow away. Curly head. In love. It was November. The days were gray and the winter rains had set in. I was living in a suburb of Copenhagen with the second of my host families. At the time, I was a 16-year-old international exchange student who was in culture shock, mostly from being transplanted from an isolated rural community to a city of well over a million from a place where the nearest neighbors were at least a mile up a country road to a place where traffic was constant and someone was always awake. This new house was situated on a rectangular lot, the entry perpendicular to a suburban street. There was a narrow paved driveway and a prim green hedge outlining the house on all sides. It was new and modern in the tradition of Danish design. Arnold, the father, was an advertising executive for a large firm in Copenhagen and recently active in the Rotary Club's International Exchange Program. He was a small, trim man who was always impeccably dressed in gray flannel trousers. Ingrid, his wife, was a middle school teacher and spoke beautiful British English. She was tall and thin, with wide eyes and prominent teeth. They had two children, Nils, who was three years older than I, and Susanna, who was two years younger. Ingrid was the most striking woman I'd ever met. She was fond of cognac and cigars. I had never seen a woman smoke cigars before, and I tried not to stare. My mother's father had smoked them when I was small, and the odor conjured memories of him meeting us at the train station. The smoke clung to his hat and his sweater. It was one of my earliest recollections of how a man smelled, not a woman. Ingrid smoked when she relaxed alone at the table, staring out the window. Held gently between her thumb and forefinger, somehow she transformed the stubby brown roll into the essence of sophistication. The first time I saw her, she caught me out of the corner of her eye, trying not to notice the thick stump between her fingers. She broke into a smile. Not used to seeing a lady smoke! She laughed with her head back, enjoying my shock. Not to worry. We Danish women, we are real ladies, and we aren't concerned about what others think. 
only with finding the pleasure of the moment. And this cigar, she waved her hand in conversation, this cigar is a fine moment. The smoke wafted through the room and curled into my nose and mouth, tickling, tempting me to believe in its powers of sensory expansion. But it was too thick, too pungent, too insistent. I laughed back. No one back home would believe me anyway. When she was finished, she carefully stubbed out the remains in a tiny brass saucer. She carried it to the kitchen and immediately put it out with the trash. Nothing worse than the smell of a good moment that has passed, she joked, but she was fastidious about neatness in her home. There was no clutter. The edges of the furniture were bold and spare. Light streamed through the undraped windows during the day. The table in the dining room was a bare rectangle of oiled birch and was framed by a view of the front entry, its low green hedge, and the street beyond. I had never experienced such clean lines. Light and shadow danced in long, lean patterns on the living room floor. Even the carpet was sheared with an elegant low pile. And it was quiet. I was still not used to the quiet. When I shut my eyes and thought about my brothers and sisters back home, I could hear the constant chatter and bickering of their voices that had always been present. The stark lines made me more aware of the sharp edges of my heart, the empty places, my loneliness. Music was a keen interest in this family. Arnold loved his classical concertos, Ingrid preferred operas, while Nils lived for jazz and contemporary pop music. When Arnold realized I knew very little of the language of melody, he told me about the local music library and encouraged me to get a loaner's card. A short bike ride from the house, Tarnview Torb, it was a modern two-story building made of cement and glass. It was bleak on the outside, the same architectural style of the gymnasium I attended each day, but inside it was another world altogether. The walls were covered with posters of albums, artists, and upcoming concerts. Chaotic color and disarray abounded. Music leaked out the edges of doors where people could listen to albums before they checked them out. It spilled out over the sound system, quiet one moment, loud the next. The woman at the front desk was pleased to help me get my card, happy to help an Americanscopia, an American girl. She asked where I was from and what brought me here, smiling with kind curiosity. Most of the kids in my gymnasium class thought it was just plain odd that someone their age would choose to live so far away from home for a whole year. How could I leave my family, my friends, my life like that? I had gotten pretty good at answering those kind of questions and not arousing any other suspicions. I would say, to see the world, to speak another language, to find common denominators in our cultures, aware always of what I could never really say, to escape. Our conversation was much the same. She was older than me, in her 20s, and dressed in loose layers of worn cotton sweaters. Her skin glowed. Her hair was wiry and curled out from the edges of the kerchief she knotted like a cap. I found myself staring at her every time I dropped by. Her smile and wave in my direction left me warm in places I tried not to think about. What kind of music do you like? Mm, ones that tell stories. You must like folk music, then. Me, too. She would lead me to the newest records, deftly collecting jackets as I stood just behind her, aware of the heat crawling up my neck into my face. I checked out record albums week after week, indulging myself in stacks of popular music. Jim Croce, Gordon Lightfoot, David Gates, Bread, The Eagles, Cat Stevens, Three Dog Night, John Denver. 
I learned the names of songs, of albums, of record labels. It was pure luxury. Record albums were something I could never afford at home in Oregon. My money had always gone for clothes and practical things. Now is my chance to play catch-up. So I went after school every Friday to choose new albums to borrow for the following week. I look forward to the girl at the desk's attention. I never had the nerve to ask her name. For the first time in my life, I was tongue-tied in the presence of a girl. I didn't know how to act. She hung in my mind for hours at a time as I recalled her face, and I, I thought of it as polishing it like a treasure with a soft cloth. Reverence. Oh, i got to start it over again. Nuts. I reworked that sentence. I didn't know how to act. She hung in my mind for hours at a time, and I recalled her face as if I were polishing a treasure with a soft cloth, carefully, with reverence. This was something new and holy. I would tend her image even if I didn't know how to create a different reality. It's been over 25 years, and I still see her face when I hear a Jim Croce song. Arnold showed me how to use his stereo equipment. There were headphones so I could plug in and listen in the den. I could close my eyes and be swept up in the golden guitar chords and story songs. The music gave me something else to talk about with Nils. He loved his records, and he knew albums and songs by current artists as if they were sports statistics. When he recognized the albums appearing in the den, he began to invite me down to his room into the cellar to listen to music with his friends on Friday nights. He poured wine, and we sat on the floor, propped up with pillows, taking turns listening to each other's favorite songs and favorite albums. It was cozy in the candlelight, and the conversation earnest and full of youthful assertions and enthusiasms. This is a fine song. The rhythm is the best. Listen. Nils would put the record on his stereo and place the needle down on a spot midway through the record. It was as if he knew every single audio line on the album, which one would begin the song he wanted us to hear. His accuracy was amazing, especially after so many glasses of wine. I would listen, sip, listen, sip, speak if spoken to, but listen mostly. My lips would tingle from the alcohol, and it became easier for me to smile. I liked his friends. They went out of their way to ask my opinions about music and how I was finding my stay in Denmark. Pia was a girl from across the street, Jens, an old classmate, and Jorn was a friend who had just come back from Holland after working as a watchmaker's apprentice. If I mispronounced a word, they just asked me to repeat myself. I grew comfortable in my corner and looked forward to seeing them all, week by week, especially Jorn. His smile was easy and comfortable, the kind that left me feeling warm inside. Jorn's sister lived in Drower, a little harbor town about ten minutes away. She and her husband had a boat. One Friday night, he asked if I'd ever been sailing. Well, no, not really. I've never been around boats much. Well, then you must come with us tomorrow. Hella and Peter are planning to go out for the whole day. They told me to bring a friend. Would you like to go? Well, sure, that would be great. I'll have to check with Ingrid and Arnold, make sure nothing else is planned, but I'm sure they won't mind. My stomach was making little flip-flops as I looked into his eyes. They were large and dark brown. He wore a mustache thick and full as his hair, kind of like Tony Orlando. Older than me by six years. I knew Ingrid would be disapproving, but I didn't care. I was working on a full-fledged crush. The blood pounded in my ears when I thought about him, and warmth crept over me from the inside out. I walked with him to the door, and he leaned over and kissed me on the cheek. So, I'll call you in the morning, let you know what time we need to be at the dock. Okay, I'll look forward to it. 
He pulled up his coat collar and winked at me. We'll see if you have any real Viking blood. I laughed. My Danish had more lilt, and he was sure he could hear Norwegian under the surface. Farvel Telang. See you soon. I turned from the door just in time to see Nils at the foot of the stairs watching. You be careful about him. He has an eye for girls. You know my meaning? Yes, Nils, yes. His eyes held a flicker of hurt, or was it jealousy? I couldn't tell. I'm warning you, all of his girlfriends for the past five years have been foreigners. He can't seem to resist an accent. Do you think I shouldn't go sailing? He shrugged exaggeratedly. Do what you like. I warned you. He turned and went back down to his room in the darkened basement. I wouldn't have cared what he said. I still wanted to go. I fell asleep that night with dreams of Yorin holding me, standing on the deck of a sailboat, the salt spring on our faces. The next morning at breakfast, I mentioned Yorin's invitation. Arnold looked over the top of his glasses at Ingrid, who was sipping her coffee. Well, he is one of Nils's friends. Draugr is very quaint. I'm sure it would be a lovely day for you. Ingrid murmured agreement, although I don't think she was really listening. What time will you leave and get back? Yorin said he would call shortly to let me know. Will that be all right? Just so we know the names of those who'll be sailing and whether or not to include you for the evening meal. I tried to hide my excitement. A shimmering bubble was swelling so quickly I wasn't sure I wouldn't float right up out of the room. A whole day, a whole day with Yorin. The phone rang a few minutes later. Hi, so are you ready to go see Drower? Looks like I am. I need to leave your sister's name and phone number for Arnold. Do you know when we'll be back? Mm, let's say nine o'clock. That way we can have dinner together. How does that sound? Great. I'll let them know not to make dinner for me then. Okay, then I'll come for you in a half an hour. Make sure you bring a sweater or a jacket. It can get cold out there on the water. But here in my heart, I give you the best of my love. Oh, sweet darling, you get the best of my love. You get the best of my love. The morning air was crisp and clear. Blue sky, clear sunshine sparkled off the waves in the water. The small harbor was filled with boats, naked masts, and marine blue canvas as far as my eye traveled down the wooden pier. Salt clung to the damp air. A few seagulls circled overhead, cawing loudly. I had my hands jammed in the pockets of my coat and shivered. Not so used to the damp air. No, but it smells good. I breathed deeply, the salt, seaweed, wet wood foreign yet somehow familiar. The water made little lapping sounds as it hit the sides of the boats. Down at the end of the pier, a man waved his hand high into the air. Yorin's face lit up. There's Peter. Come, let's go meet them. We linked arms and walked down the length of the pier. Peter and Hella had two small children who were also on board. They eyed me curiously at first, until they heard me speak. Oli, the five-year-old, asked me why I talk so funny. And then he found out I was an American. He was full of questions about cowboys and Indians. Had I ever seen any? Did I know how to shoot a gun? What else do you have in the Wild West besides Indians and cowboys? We talked and laughed, and the boys were delighted with my grammar mistakes. They showed me their toy boats and Legos, insisted on sitting next to me when we sailed far out into the harbor. The water was deep blue, and the sky went on forever. Hella had packed various smurbrot in a big cooler for lunch. 
boiled egg slices, cucumber slices, pickled herring, onion rings, liver pate, Jarlsberg cheese, dark rye bread. There was beer to drink along with the sodas. I tried mineral water, but it was bitter, so I decided to drink a beer instead. It didn't taste much better. Joram watched my face while I was sipping it. We'll make a Dane of you yet. Our beer is some of the best in the world. I made a face. I doubt it. It all tastes sour to me. If I have to drink, just give me a schnapps and get it over with. Schnapps was another thing I'd been introduced to at the meal tables and parties I'd lived through so far. It was chilled and poured into glasses that reminded me of communion cups next to dinner plates. Drunk in a gulp before the meal was served and accompanied with a loud chorus of skull, it went down like liquid fire and warmed me to my toes. Joran smiled and just shook his head. The sun wove in and out of the clouds. I sat next to him on the deck and enjoyed the warmth of his arm draped around my shoulders. We sailed out into the blue water until the shore was a thin line punctuated by buildings and harbor flags the size of the boys' Lego toys. We were in the Baltic Sea. The water still fished daily as the source of many Danes' livelihoods. The wind was low, but the water rippled silver in the daylight. The currents were alternately choppy and smooth, evening out the farther we glided from shore. Peter sailed close to the harbor near Surveying and then looped back out again to another bay before we turned and headed back toward Drower. We arrived back at the dock at twilight. Ole and little Jens were asleep in a pile of blankets in the cabin of the boat. The air was damp and colder. I pulled my sweater tight. How about getting something to eat before I take you home? Mmm, sounds good. Hot food would be great. We made our goodbyes to Hella and Peter and jumped out on the dock. Thanks so much. I had a wonderful time. Your boys are sweet. I called back and waved for the last time. Joram put his arm around me and we walked together, sharing each other's warmth. The street lights began to flicker on. We walked on to the end of the street to a small cobblestone square. A food cart was selling pulsers and French bread the Scandinavian version of hot dogs. They were more like German sausage served with hot squares of French bread and a sweet, spicy mustard. Danes had yet to discover ketchup. We bought our food and sat at the curb and ate together. The pigeons flocked in the square, pecking at the breadcrumbs left behind. They cooed and flapped their wings. I still couldn't get over how tame these birds were, how soft their feathers, and how willing to eat from my hand. We caught a bus back to Castrop, and Joran walked me to the door. It was dark, and the light by the front door was on. Thanks, Joran. It was a great day. I really had fun. I looked up into his eyes. He was taller than anyone else I'd ever dated. He held me close. I'll see you soon again, okay? Yes, soon. He kissed me on the mouth, and I let him for a long time. You fill up my senses Like night in a forest Like the mountains in springtime Like a walk in the rain Like a storm in the desert Like a sleepy blue ocean You fill up my senses, come fill me again. The next few weeks passed. Schoolwork filled my days while letter writing and listening to music claimed most of my evenings. 
Yoram was visiting his family in North Shayland, and I hadn't seen him visit Nil since our day sailing. I had talked to Karin, my classmate, about him. I told her about the music he liked, our Friday evenings with Nils and Pia, about our trip to the harbor. She had met him once after school, and by the way her cheeks flushed and the way her eyes fell from his, I could tell she thought he was more than cute. He called while I was out one Sunday afternoon. Susanna had taken the message and written his phone number in tiny, precise script. My heart started to beat a little faster. I'd wondered if he'd call me again. I was so much younger. I knew he might not take me more seriously than one long kiss. Even though I hoped not, I couldn't help but wonder if he'd been with any other girl since our trip to Drower. After all, I was just 16. Well, an almost 17-year-old American girl. I knew I was probably just another brief distraction, but I didn't care. When I was with him, I felt beautiful, charming, like Cinderella. I knew it wasn't going to be for life, but it was a wonderful feeling being part of a fairy tale, even if it was just for a little while. I dialed his number and waited to hear his voice on the other end. Hi, Yorin. It's me, Debbie. How was your trip? Oh, family. You know, I saw all my cousins, my aunts, my uncles. It was pretty quiet. What have you been up to? Karin and I just got back from Amarun, the bicycle trek we've been practicing for for the past two months. I'm beat. That day had been the annual community bike event, a 40-kilometer trek which followed the circumference of Ama, the small island which connected by bridges to Copenhagen proper. Oh, that's right. That was this weekend. So how'd you like it? I saw the course marked in the paper. You followed a section near the beach, didn't you? Yeah, it was really empty to start with. I think all the people were lined up farther in town to watch people cross the finish line. It was a great day to ride, though, the most sunshine we've had since we started doing the practice runs. I'm going to sleep tonight, that's for sure. Have you ever biked the course? He laughed. No, not in this lifetime. I'd rather go dancing. When do you want to go to Tivoli? We can start there, and then I can take you to some other places with live music. Would you like that? I was riding a wave of euphoria, giddy from the inside out. We made plans to see each other the following Saturday night. The week couldn't pass quickly enough. Karin asked if I wanted to come over Saturday and see a movie. I told her about Yorin, and she smiled shyly at me. He is handsome. I think so, too, and he's so much fun to be with. She looked at me, and we burst out laughing. Carely head in love. We said the word over and over and over. Carely head, carely head, carely head. Tivoli was the amusement park synonymous with Copenhagen. I had been there at least once a month since my arrival, since so many of the other exchange students who passed through the city called me to share a night out with them. It was a poem in the twilight of the day, lit with thousands of tiny twinkling lights, surrounded by tall stands of trees gorgeous green shrubs and flowers. It offered ballet on an open stage, jazz, theater, amusement rides, balloons, flower bouquets, open-air cafes and bars. The perfect place for a young girl to swoon, especially with a tall, dark, handsome young man who thought my accent was charming. We left the house around eight that evening. I wore an eyelet blouse and a borrowed gabardine skirt from Karin. It was sky blue and it made me feel like I was wearing spring. He had borrowed his brother Jens's old blue VW Bug, which had definitely seen better days. As we arrived at the park, music wafted through the air, along with the voices of kids on roller coasters, screams, and laughter. Joran squeezed my hand and we linked arms. We meandered the pathways, stopping to watch open-air 
acrobatics, the performers wearing black and red sequined costumes, court gestures flying through the air, complete with full ruffled collars. The Chinese theater was lit and a pantomime play was in progress. We rode in an old-fashioned carriage drawn by a polished black horse, watched the colors of the lights twinkle against the dark sky. Dance music from an open-air disco pulled us in and we danced for hours under the stars, the music pounding a rhythm through us and beyond. At 11.30, the fireworks show began. We lay back on the grass and watched the colored stars explode, one after the other, sparks of fire tracing patterns in the canopy of black. Yorin sat up and slid his hand around my waist. Are you ready to dance some more? Doesn't the park close soon? Yes, but there are plenty of other places to go. Are you up for it? All right, then. Let's go. The back of my neck was damp from sweat and exhilaration. I shivered. Here, take my jacket. He draped his coat, dark brown corduroy, over my shoulders. We walked together, arm's length for warmth. I'd never been out this late, but neither Ingrid or Arnold had seemed to mind when I announced my plans earlier. I wouldn't have cared. All I wanted to do was cram every detail of the evening in my memory. This one was getting filed under the most romantic evening of my life so far. We found the car, and Yorn drove out to see the Little Mermaid statue. The harbor lights reflected gold on the water. We parked the car and walked from Kong's new tour to Stroy and to a disco Yorin knew. It was a quiet night there. Only a few other couples were on the floor. The music was live, but the band seemed to follow a pensive mood of the empty spaces at the tables. It was slow and soft. We drank vodka. My head was light, but I danced with Yorin again and again until we were the only ones left on the dance floor. The bartender called to us. Closing in 15 minutes, you two. We could see him shaking his head and smiling while he wiped the counter down. What time is it anyway? I stretched and yawned. Yorin looked at his watch. It's nearly three o'clock. Past time for bed. His eyes caught mine. I felt warmth rushing through me. I tingled in places that were hard to stop if I let them go. Temptation pulsed in my ears and my throat. I wanted to let go and be swept away. I wanted to, but even in the haze of vodka, exhilaration, and infatuation, I knew I couldn't. I knew the danger that lurked behind the sweetness of such a seduction. We walked together down the street to find his car. The scent of lilacs floated in the air. Mmm, those are my favorite flowers. Can you smell them? Yorin loosened his hand from mine. I'll be right back. He walked ahead, looking for a gate, and slipped through. The morning light was already streaking the sky. It was going to be a gold sunrise. Low clouds stretched along the horizon, the edges glowing. He came back with a cluster of perfect lilacs and held them forward while he bent down on one knee. For my friend, the American princess. We laughed, but I held the flowers in my arms in the morning light, trying to memorize the colors, the fragrance, the light on his hair, the texture of our skin so close to one another. We drove back home slowly to the neighborhood that had become my home. The streets were empty, not the usual distraction of people, just row after row of buildings, apartments, businesses, kiosks. No green grass, no hills with trees, just street after street of silent stone and bricks. The emptiness was eerie, as if we were the only humans to witness this brief slice of silence caught in a pale horizontal line just above the earth, in the place where daylight had not quite broken. Yorin draped his free arm around my shoulders as he drove, and I pressed my head into his chest. I could feel his heart. I didn't want the night to end. I fell into my bed sometime around four o'clock that morning. 
exhausted but happier than I could remember being for a long time. I slept until I heard doors opening in the hall and realized I should get up for breakfast. I'd slept just enough to know I needed more, a lot more. I decided to get up anyway. It was a bad decision. After I poured my coffee and sat down at the table, Arnold asked what time I had gotten in last night. He was not happy it had been so late. It was the weekend. I'd finished all my schoolwork. I was feeling the slow pound of a headache begin. That may well be, but I didn't know when to turn the lamp off in the entry, so I had to leave it on. The light kept all of us from sleeping very well. I realized I was not going to win any points. I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to cause any trouble. I tried to be quiet when I came in. Ingrid flicked the morning paper, irritated. You know we must get the house clean today. We have guests coming for dinner tonight. It's Annalisa's birthday, and we have all the shopping to do as well as the meal preparation. I'll be here all day. I'll help. The rest of my day passed in a fog of headache and fatigue. I scrubbed the bathroom floors and sinks, and while the water ran, I wrung out the cleaning rags, and I closed my eyes and saw lilacs against white eyelet in the morning light. Just an old-fashioned love song playing on the radio And wrapped around the music is the sound of someone promising they'll never go the day before I was to give my farewell speech to the Rotary Club, Joran called. We haven't gotten to go to the beach together yet. How would you like to ride bikes and lay in the sun in the afternoon? Butterflies, again. His voice was deep and it set slow waves of infatuation in motion. Okay, but I have to be back by five o'clock. I have to make my farewell and thanks at the Rotary Club dinner. That should be no problem. I'll come by just after lunch tomorrow then. We can ride over to Drower Beach. It's less than 20 minutes. So I'll see you tomorrow then. See you tomorrow. I was glad I had at least been out in the sun a little, not that I ever tanned very much. My skin stubbornly resisted the sun. The best I could hope for was a pale honey color. I still only had faint tan lines to show for the several weekends Karn and I had attempted to brown ourselves. But at least I wouldn't look like a foreigner or one of those ghosts from Great Britain who liked a vacation here. I spent the night recopying my speech. I set out the clothes I would wear the blue gabardine skirt Karin's mom had helped me sew, and my white eyelet blouse. The weather was warm enough now that I could just wear sandals. There had been a flurry of phone calls in the past several days from other exchange students who had been passing through Copenhagen on their way home. Many had parents who had flown over to meet the families who had hosted their child. I felt the reality of my social class again, and I was ashamed. My mother had never even been on a plane. This whole year had been a surreal experience, jumping from a life where welfare food and berry picking had sustained me to a life where suddenly I was given an allowance and was living with people who could make assumptions that I never dreamed of. I was constantly observing behavior, making guesses of how I ought to choose, how I ought to behave. I managed to shrug off questions about my family with feigned adolescent indifference. I would say to those who asked, I'm one of five. My mother works at a bank. She's too busy. We'll see each other soon enough. One of the girls from Minnesota wanted a travel partner to fly back with, so we booked our return tickets for the same dates. Every time the phone rang, Ingrid would call through the house, It's for you, Debbie. There was enough outside activity to keep me from drowning in my fear of the immediate future, and right then, an afternoon with Yorn at the beach in a warm Spring sun sounded wonderful. It was welcome fantasy. The bedroom closet stood open. 
My sparse wardrobe hung to one side, shoes and boots standing below. It would not be difficult to pack. Most of my mementos would be pictures and books. Though there was the teacup and saucer from the Isbransons, and my Icelander sweater, which was as thick as a rug, that would take up a lot of room in my suitcase, and I decided to leave behind the frayed pea coat that I'd worn throughout the winter. It wouldn't last through another school year anyway. There was a timid knock at my door. It was Fru Tunison, the lady who cleaned the house twice a month. Hi, Debbie, I saw you were collecting these recipe books from the grocer, so I thought you'd enjoy these too. She handed me a slim package tied with a red ribbon, two cookbooks on Schmurbrot, the Danish sandwiches I ate every day. Thanks so much. I will enjoy these. The food here has been wonderful. I gave her a hug, and I saw tears in her eyes. For me, I'd only known her for the months I'd lived with the Nuregards. We'd spoken each time she'd come to clean. I think she sensed my ill ease in this house and went out of her way to be kind to me, admiring my attempts to speak Danish. She knew I'd helped with housework, and while I was there, she had seen me scrubbing, sweeping, dusting. I felt comfortable with her. We shared the practical language of housework, actions that were solid and real. You won't forget us, then. You'll remember us when you make a lunch or you bake rolls. She hugged me again, and I found myself crying as she held me. She patted my back and murmured, So, 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 there, there, there. If you could read my mind, love, what a tale my thoughts could tell. Just like an old time movie about a ghost from a wishing well in a castle dark or a fortress strong with chains upon my feet. You know that ghost is me. The next morning was bright. I wrote a few letters before Yorin came by. I decided to wear my bathing suit under my jeans so I wouldn't have to go look for a place to change, not that there would be any. By lunchtime, low clouds had rolled in, but the sun was still near enough to tempt sunbathing. Yorin arrived just after one, just as I was folding a beach towel in a rectangle and trying to fit it under the book strap on the back of my bike. Hi! Hi! So how are you? Looking forward to Drower Beach. I've heard so much about it. He laughed, and I bet the stories all had to do with all the crazy naked tourists, huh? Tourists? Come on, you blame everything on the foreigners. You Danes are pretty relaxed about your beach clothes. He feigned mock surprise. What? What's wrong with what I'm wearing? He pulled at his T-shirt. I laughed. I'm ready if you are. Then we're off. It won't take us so long. I rode beside him out of the neighborhood that had become mine these past seven months. The flat horizon stretched out before us as we passed block after block of apartment buildings, traffic lights, kiosks. The bike path narrowed as we approached the beach. The sun was still screened behind low gray clouds, the water a gray pearl in the distance. Here's a good spot to stop. We can leave our bikes in a rack. I stopped behind him, and we chained our bikes to the public racks just off the pavement. The sand was brown. A strong breeze blew through the clumps of grass at our feet. We walked hand in hand for a while before finding a good spot to spread our towels. I scanned the area with my eyes, a few people splashing in the waves, and a few more stretched out on towels, sleeping in the sun. Not a naked one in the bunch. I just had to make sure before peeling off my jeans and shirt. Joran saw me looking around and laughed. See anything interesting? No, not a thing. And you? 
just what's right here beside me. I shook out my towel and spread it out, trying to find the best angle from the sun. We lay down, fingertips touching side by side. So are you looking forward to flying home soon? No, not so much. I'd rather stay. But let's not talk about it. Tell me what you have planned for the summer. Back to work at the family's jewelry store in Hillerot. Cleaning watches, repairing settings, making small talk with the customers. Nothing too exciting. It's a job. Do you ever think about going back to school, Yorin? Not so much. I took my exams and my marks weren't good enough for university, and I never liked books. I'd rather do something, anything, but sit and listen to some dead, dull teacher speak on subjects that bored me anyway. His fingers walked up my arm to my shoulder. I've always been good with my hands, though. I laughed and swatted his hand, but his touch had already charged my skin. Time to base the other side. I propped myself up on my elbows, ready to turn over. I looked up to find a fat, grandfatherly man strolling past us. He wore no swimsuit, only a towel draped over his shoulders. That wasn't the only thing draped and hanging. I turned over quickly and slammed my face into the towel. What? What is it? Yoren looked up and rolled over and tried not to laugh, but he couldn't help it. You'd think it'd be us, not the pension collectors out here commuting with nature. I was trying to breathe, to act mature, but the sight of the old man's loose white flanks only 30 feet away was more than I could take. I laughed so hard I inhaled sand. We sat up while Yoren smacked me on the back, choking the grit in my throat, still laughing from my unexpected introduction to nude bathing. By the time I caught my breath, I'd seen another flock of similar sunbathers, a motley assortment of elbows, knees, bellies, and dangling male anatomy. I decided to stay face down for the rest of the afternoon. I had seen enough. I willed the blood to stay away from my face. I couldn't let Yorn see how embarrassed I was to witness naked men. It underscored my naivete and his experience. We lay like that, fingertips touching, for the rest of the afternoon. We dozed in the sun until I woke myself with a start. I checked my watch. It was already 4 o'clock, and I was supposed to be ready to go with Arnold at 4.45. I sat up and poked Yorin. He groaned. What? I've got to get going. Already? What time is it? Four, and I still have to get cleaned up for this farewell dinner. It was a nice nap, though. I think I might have gotten a little more sun. Understatement. The back of my legs smarted when I pulled my jeans on. Ouch. Definitely got more sun. Let me see. He brushed the sand off my shoulders. Ah, a little pink. That's what you get for spying on naked old men. Ha! You think I wanted to lay here face up for that? Yuck! We laughed and folded the towels. The sand was silty and left my skin covered in a fine layer of dirt. We walked to our bikes and slipped our shoes on. Oh, I wish we didn't have to leave so soon. Me either. My voice trailed off and I looked up into his face. He kissed me and my legs felt light. Okay, hey, I've got to get back. Right. He straightened up. Yorin. He swung around, held me tight, and we kissed one more time. It was long and sweet. His lips were so soft and the hair of his mustache was thick and wiry. Interesting contrast. I'd never been kissed like this before and I didn't want it to stop. But it was the wrong time and place. I was going to be so late. Arnold would be tapping his watch in the doorway. I could see his profile pressing down the back of my eyelids. I groaned and untangled my arms, took a deep breath, and let it out slow. Yorn grinned and ran his hands through his hair. We stood for a moment, looked out over the water one last time, and then walked our bikes to the asphalt lane. 
It was a quarter after four, and we had to ride like crazy to reach home by 4.30. I propped my bike in the garage and ran into the house to rinse off and change. Yorin waved from the street and blew me a kiss. We didn't even get to say goodbye. I was warm all over. How much from sunburn, from exertion, from desire was hard to tell. But it felt wonderful. I knew what a glow felt like. My heart was full. The rest of the evening passed in a gold-filtered haze. I was actually ready on time. Arnold was late getting home from the office. No one even noticed how close I'd cut it. The speech went well. Not a dry eye in the house. Midway through the reading, though, I realized the finality of seeing these faces, of speaking these words, standing in this place. My voice faltered, but I managed to finish the rest without completely losing my composure. There was a silence after I'd finished, and for a half second I wondered if they'd understood a single word I said. Holger Isbranson broke the silence. You were sunshine and laughter in our home, and we thank you. There were more words, laughter, applause, and in that moment I knew I had touched something real within the lives of these businessmen, something neither they or I had expected. I felt the love of forty fathers. Some of them had only spoken with me in passing. Some had taken me out to Tivoli with their families, had included me in family celebrations, in dinners out, but all of whom had decided that their group would try participating in the International Exchange Program for the first time that year. They took a collective deep breath and held it. I had not realized their fears, after all, but their hopes. Someone who had come to know the warmth of their native language, someone who had come to know more about them than Hans Christian Andersen and the Little Mermaid. We all learned something about trust. I was taking first steps. Perhaps they were being reminded. That year, 40 men, strangers, made room for another daughter. They remembered what it was like to be young, full of ideals, and what it was like to cry for the love of small things. For myself, I had begun to learn that not all fathers were alike. Is there someone you know You're loving them so But taking them That was Debbie Everson Barofka reading her story, Care Light in Love. While you know life is hard enough being 16 when you're at home, among friends and family, speaking in your own language, at that time of your life there are enough hormones, emotions, fads, interests, and peer pressures to contend with. But then, being all by yourself in a foreign country, with a new family, a new school, new surroundings, and even a new language, well, that's what Debbie's charming story was all about. And she wrote it with great honesty, without omitting any revealing details, 
never flinching at recalling the narrator's desire for adventure and romance. Friends, Debbie has appeared many times on our show. A number of her profiles have appeared in our local papers. We want to congratulate her because not all that long ago she received a Ph.D. from Pacifica Institute. Her dissertation is currently being reworked for publication. Beginning in the fall of this year, she'll be teaching for UCLA's Extension Writers Program. Thank you, Debbie, for your reading tonight. We hope to have you on many more times in years to come. And so we come to the end of another edition of Valley Writers Read. If you would like to listen to tonight's or any other program in the Valley Writers Read series, just go online to kvpr.org and click on Archived Audio. Next week, we're going to feature two writers, both of whom hardly need any introduction, Paul Hernandez and Angelo Angarano. In the meantime, this is your host, Franz Weinschenk, wishing you and yours a great life story until we meet again. Good night. Valley Writers Read is a weekly series produced by Don Weaver and Franz Weinschenk for Valley Public Radio. Please join us again next Wednesday at the same time for another edition of Valley Writers Read.